Well, this morning I'm wondering a, a question. I'm wondering, would you know how to answer the question, are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Would, would you be able to give an answer to that question? To answer that question, you first have to know what a disciple is, and then you have to understand the criterion for evaluating whether you are that, whether you are a disciple. And this is a, a, a vital question for each of us to answer because certain things are promised only to disciples. It's a vital question for us to answer because Jesus calls every single person who believes in him to actually live as a disciple, not as a way to prove anything uh, to anybody, but as a way to experience life, as a way to experience fullness. It's a path to fruitfulness. And so today we're going we're gonna to look at a passage of Scripture that gives a very simple way to answer that question, whether or not you're a disciple. In John 8, verses 31 and 32, Jesus says, you can tell, it's very simple, you can tell whether or not you're a disciple by how you relate to his teachings, or by extension, the teachings of the Bible. So today we're wrapping up our 21 days of prayer and fasting, and we're talking about yet another way to seek and find God. We talked about seeking and finding God through fasting, through prayer. Today we talk about through the Word. And so we begin with John 8.31. We read this. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And so Jesus is explaining how you can tell if you are truly, if you are genuinely a disciple versus superficially a disciple or someone who has kind of a fleeting interest or fascination with Jesus. And the term disciple simply means learner. A disciple is someone who is actively learning from a teacher, from a master, from a rabbi. And so a disciple of Jesus is someone who is learning from Jesus how to live like Jesus. And if that's what a disciple is, not surprisingly, Jesus said, if you continue, if you abide, if you remain in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. If you really want to learn from Jesus, you can't hear what he says and then just forget it. No, you have to abide in it. The teachings of Jesus need to occupy a place of prominence in our lives. And so if you're a disciple, uh, you don't resent this idea of you need to dwell in the teachings of Jesus. Uh, if you're a disciple of, of Jesus, you don't dread spending time thinking about, talking about his teachings. They won't be an afterthought. To the contrary, you will gladly and wholeheartedly, you'll say, I'm going to do whatever I need to, whatever I can, so that I really get his teaching, so that I assimilate them into my life, so that I actually learn to live the way Jesus did. One way to summarize it, I would say, if we're truly disciples, our deepest desire will, to, will be to cultivate the mind of Christ so that we can actually live like Christ, okay? So, so if we're truly disciples, we'll seek to cultivate the mind of Christ, however, whatever that takes, so that we can actually live like Christ. Well, let me give you an example of how this works. <clears throat> and uh, in the summer of 2014, I was able to do something that I never really thought I would be able to do. I didn't really have a bucket list, but if I had one, this would be on it. I got to spend a week one-on-one -on -one with Pete Galbert. 
I know some of you, one person knows who that is. Most of you don't. Pete is one of the premier Windsor chairmakers in America. And so for years, I had, I had watched his videos. I had read his blog. I'd even emailed him back and forth. But I got the chance to go to his shop. It's up just west of Boston. I got to go up for his shop, me and Pete, one-on-one for a week. And let me assure you, when I went up there, I went as a disciple, as a learner, as a student. I didn't go up there to show him any techniques. I didn't go up there to, to challenge this, not how you should do it. Why don't you do it this? No, I was, I was, he was the master. He is the chairmaking rabbi. He is the <laughs> teacher, the one I just wanted to just soak it all in. And so here's a photo of, of Pete. That's Pete there. He's working on his stretchers. Now, I'm going to show you a video. I, I was taking photos and videos. This is a video I took. You can feel that. So he's talking about how to use a The nice thing about this one is it so evens out your shaping. And see, it looks like I'm going uphill, right? As long as I'm skewed the correct direction, I can do it pretty fearlessly. Nothing cuts with more precision than this tool. This, this is basically the last tool we use. I mean, the scraper is in there a little bit later, but not for much. Oh, that's amazing, right? So it looks, it looks effortless. That's how you know if somebody's good if it looks like that's not even trying. So that's how you know. And so he's, he's using a traverser is basically a curved spoke shave. You use it to to smooth out the bottom of a chair. And so he, he's just explaining, just effortlessly explaining, okay, this is how you hold the tool. This is how you read the grain in the seat so you make the right cut. This is how you know when you're done with this tool and you can move on to the, the card scraper and that type of thing. And so he's just a, a master, master teacher. And uh, as, as Pete's enthusiastic disciple, my goal was to learn as much as possible so that I could imitate him when I got home, okay? And so here's, here's, a, here's a religious way to put it, biblical way to put it. I was trying to cultivate the mind of Pete so that I could actually make chairs like Pete, okay? And when I got home, again, ever, since that day, five and a half years ago, I still read his blog. I still go over those notes. I have his voice in my mind. I remember about two days in, we were sitting there, and he said, Steve, you don't need to put your tools in a death grip, okay? Just relax. Just hold them naturally. Let the blade do the work, okay? So I remember that when I'm in my shop. And so I've continued in his word. Therefore, I am truly a disciple of his. I mean, I'm just taking baby steps. But I am truly a disciple of his. If I'd gone to the class and said, that was great, and then forgot about it, I would not be a disciple of his, okay? You see where I'm going with this, right? And so we go back to John 8, 31. And Jesus' point is, if we are truly disciples of his, if we're truly his disciples, we're truly his disciples, if and only if we continue in his teaching. If we hear what he says, then turn our back and abandon it or forget it or adopt some other teaching, we are not his disciples. But if we continue by hearing it, 
by mulling it over, by having spiritual conversations. We talk with others about it, seeking to put it into practice. And then we say, wow, that didn't go so well. We go back to the Word. We don't abandon it. We remain in the Word. We think about it. We memorize it. We mull it over. We try it again. Solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained. If that's your habit, you are truly a disciple of Jesus. And so you can be a a moral person without abiding in Jesus' teachings. You can be a solid churchgoer without remaining in Jesus' teaching. But you cannot be a disciple, an apprentice of Jesus, unless you remain in his teachings. Why? Because a disciple is one who is actually learning from Jesus how to live like Jesus. And that doesn't happen if we abandon his teaching. Down in verse 37, we read this. Jesus confronted some in the crowd with these words. He said, you seek to kill me. There were some that says they believed in him, but eventually when they understood what he was saying, they wanted to kill him. He said, you seek to kill me. Why? Because my word has no place in you. And so they had a superficial belief in Jesus, but they were not true disciples because his word had no place in their hearts and minds. Back up to verse 32, <clears throat> Jesus said that those who continue in his word are actually transformed to the, to the place where they experience freedom. He says, and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. And so if you continue in his word, in his, in his, his word, his teaching, you progressively come to know the truth experientially. And you can, you can master the contents of the Bible without really abiding in his word. There's a type of academic knowledge of scripture. In Jesus' days, the Pharisees were the kind of the poster boys for this. I mean, they, they were Hebrew scholars. They knew the Hebrew Bible inside and out. But when the God of the Hebrew Bible, when Yahweh himself showed up in flesh and blood, they wanted to kill him. And so they knew the Bible, but they missed God. And so Jesus says... By contrast, that if we abide in his teachings, we will know the truth experientially, and the truth will make you free. You keep on reading, it's clear he's talking about freedom from sin, freedom from sins, instead of being in bondage to our desires and our habits and all the things that that are self-destructive and the things that that, uh, decimate relationships all around us. We can experience a freedom from those sins because we actually know experientially the truth. It's that powerful. And so eventually we experience the power and the reality of his teachings to the point of being free. And by the way, we should think in terms of months and years, not days and weeks. This is progressively over time. Let me give you an example of how this might, might work. In the Sermon on the Mount in, Jesus, in, in Matthew 5, Jesus talks extensively about how to treat people, especially people who have wronged you, people who have insulted you, even people who have persecuted you. And what Jesus, tell, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount is, is diametrically opposed to what you'll hear in the world. In the world, you'll hear that your anger is justified and that you have every right to flame people and insult people. You should basically treat people the way they've treated you because that's what they deserve. If you do anything else, you'll be a doormat, you'll get walked over, and, and that's what, that's what you'll, you'll hear. I mean, it's just codified in our, our culture. But Jesus said, no, actually, uh, instead of treating people the way they treat you, 
you should treat people the way God treats you. And God, by the way, is the one who causes the sun to rise on his friends and his enemies. He sends the rain on his friends and enemies. He's gracious to both. Therefore, you and I should imitate him, and we should be gracious, as gracious to our enemies as we are to our friends. Now, that makes sense, right? I mean, we're sitting here. That makes, like, Yeah, that's right. That, that totally makes sense. Why would I expect God to treat me one way, and then I can turn around and treat people in just vastly inferior ways? Of course not. But then we start thinking about the details of our lives, and we bring to mind the people that have insulted us. And the teaching of Jesus all of a sudden sounds very impractical. It almost sounds impossible sometimes. And we're like, yeah, I don't think I can do that. And many Christians, I don't know, maybe even most Christians at this point abandon the teaching of Jesus. It's very, very rare for people to abide in that teaching. They abandon the teachings of Jesus and they say, you know, I'm going to treat people just the way I always have. I, I just either ignore it or intentionally walk away from it. Consequently, they experience no freedom. Consequently, year after year after year, relationship after relationship, they are in bondage to bitterness, this urge for revenge. All these things are just so destructive in relationships. But if you find a Christian who abides in that word, who remains in it, who doesn't give up on it, who says, okay, God, uh, you're my master. Just, if, if a person has the same mindset toward Jesus that I had toward Pete, you say, I'm not going to argue with you, Jesus. You are a zillion times smarter than me in everything, in relationships, in the kingdom of God, how life works. Uh, God, since I want to have the mind of Christ, I'm going to abide in this teaching of Jesus till I can love my enemies the way Jesus loved his enemies. And so what I'm describing here is a person who is truly a disciple of Jesus. And it, it is so striking when you meet this person. There, there's something different about their spirit. You encounter this person radically, radically different way. And that person will experience genuine freedom. That person won't be in bondage to circumstances and won't be in bondage to how other people treat them. They're not surprised when they're mistreated. They're not outraged at it. This is life in this world. And we're, but I'm not living in this world. I'm living in the kingdom of God. God is reigning in my life. And so I hope that gives a picture. But these verses teaches, teach that we are truly Jesus' disciples when and only when we abide in his teachings. And our conviction here at faith is, is just very apparent to us from Scripture, is that it is the will of God for all believers to live this way, for all believers to be disciples of Jesus. This isn't for the few and the proud. This isn't for a select, zealous few. Now, this is the normal Christian life. Everybody that comes to faith is to live as a disciple. That's what Jesus envisioned. And what he envisions, he empowers. He's not saying, here's the command, good luck. He's saying, no, I will live within you. I will empower you. I will lead you into this life. So given this reality, I want to circle back to the question I asked you at the very beginning. Ask yourself the question, 
am I truly a disciple of Jesus Christ? Just no reason not to be honest here. Ask yourself the question, am I truly a disciple of Jesus? In other words, am I seeking to make Jesus' words and the rest of Scripture the dominant influence in my life? Or if I'm honest, would I have to say, no, yeah, I, I, uh, the word of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus have very little influence in the way I live my life. And I understand that, that there, it's not an all or nothing thing. Sometimes we're selective. We're like, we're very intent to learn from Jesus in one area of our lives, but another area of my life, that is off limits, okay? I don't think God could even, do, even refine that, so I'm even going to give it a shot. And so it's not an all or nothing thing. And I'm not talking about being a perfect disciple. I'm asking whether or not you can actually say, I am seeking to have the mind of Christ so that I can live like Christ. And no doubt we're in a lot of different places here. Uh, No doubt some of you would say, I'm not actually a believer in Jesus yet, so I'm not abiding in his teachings. Others of you would say, you know, I'm not perfect, but by and large, that's what I'm going for. What you're describing is what I'm going for. I saturate my mind in the word. I memorize scripture. I I return to it throughout the day. I don't hear it and forget it. No, that's my life. That's my joy. Uh, Many of us would say we're, we're somewhere in between. But do you know where you are? You have to know where you are so you'll know where you need to go. And so where you are in the most important thing, the most important thing is, what will you do now? Will you take the next step? Will you purpose in your heart, I want to live as a disciple? Or in complacency, will you fold your arms and say, yeah, I'm not changing. I'm not changing. Well, in a few minutes, we'll talk about some some ways that we offer here at Faith to, to move on this path of discipleship. But first, I want to share three brief ways, and I hope this is motivating to you. I hope this just casts a vision for what your life can be like. Three ways Scripture talks, uh, three benefits of being a disciple, having the Word abide in you. And one involves prayer. In John 15, after developing the imagery of the vine and the branch, Jesus says this, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, This is shocking. You're sitting down. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. You're like, no, that's not the way it works. That's dangerous to say something like that. That can't be. Well, it only sounds dangerous if you don't understand how your life will be radically transformed. I mean, radically. You will not be the same person if you abide in Christ and if his words actually abide in you, you will be so radically transformed that God's not going to be up in heaven worried, going, what's he going to ask me now? He's going to ask me something, and I can't give it to him. No. Think about Jesus. When Jesus walked this earth, do you think God was worried? Jesus is going to ask me something that's going to sabotage the plan. Like when he was in the garden, you know, Peter, <laughs> Peter pulled out his, it's not funny, but he, Peter, <laughs> he cut off the guy's ear with a sword, and Jesus said, don't you understand? If I wanted, I could ask the Father. He could send an army of angels, and they would make short work of these Roman soldiers standing here. Trust me. But he didn't ask that because he was so locked in to the will of the Father. And so the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit say to us, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, then I have that same confidence. You're going to ask things that are aligned with my will. Now, that's a prayer life I want. 
that is available to disciples. Or think about the mission of the church. In Matthew 28, we have these verses where Jesus makes clear that abiding in his teachings is absolutely essential if you want to be in the mission of the church. In other words, you want to be in the mainstream of what God is doing in the world. He says this, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, this is after the resurrection, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, of every grouping of people on the planet, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now think about who can do verse 20? Who can actually do this? Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Who can come alongside another person and say, hey, let me teach you how to love your enemies. Let me teach you how to bless those who curse you. Let me teach, those, let me teach you how to give a blessing uh, to anybody you come across in your life. The only person who can do that is someone who has learned that from Jesus. Only a disciple can make disciples. Or who's the person that can come alongside you and teach you to obey the command, whatever you do, do your work heartily for the Lord. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. So who's able to teach another person how to love their neighbor in the workplace, their coworkers, their clients, their vendor? Every, who, who can teach that? Only somebody who's learned that from Jesus, only a disciple. And so only disciples can make disciples because only disciples have the motivation, first of all, to go. Get up off the couch and go. Go near, go far, but go. Make disciples. Make disciples. Only disciples have the depth of of conviction necessary to share the gospel convincingly. Almost anybody can share the, the, the facts of the gospel. Jesus died for your sins. Trust him, and therefore you'll have eternal life. Only a true disciple, somebody who's experienced the power and the freedom of that, can come alongside a friend and say, I have to tell you, there is nothing like this. I want this for you so passionately because Jesus will give you life. You'll have freedom. You'll have life. Only disciples can share the gospel convincingly. And only disciples have the experiential knowledge of the truth that equips them to teach others to obey Jesus' teaching. Now think about perseverance, the last example. In Matthew 7 uh, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus told a parable to, to impress upon his readers. After listening to this whole sermon, he's impressing upon them the importance of living it out, acting on it, not just hearing. And this is what, what Jesus said, Matthew seven twenty four. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the wind blew and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Here's the other scenario. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Here comes the same weather. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. 
And so both, both people experienced the same uh, weather, the same storms of life. One fell, one stood. What's the difference? Well, one of them heard only, they heard it and then abandoned it. The other one remained in that word, ab was abiding in that teaching, put it into practice, and he had that stability, persevered. <clears throat> it's been said that, <clears throat> ooh, that's pretty good. <clears throat> Note to self, don't scream those songs in first and second service. We're going to talk for 30 minutes. Three times. <clears throat> uh, it's been said that if you live long enough, you will suffer. If you haven't suffered, you haven't lived very long, okay? If you live long enough, you will experience hard things, traumatic things, painful things that tempt you to give up, okay? The thing that keeps you going, the thing that gives, gives you perseverance is this, and this stability is by abiding in Christ and letting his words abide in you. That's how you will be strong and persevere. And, and that's one of the great benefits of living as a disciple. And so I hope those motivate you. I hope those, those, those three examples make you say, I would be foolish not to, to be a disciple who truly abides in Jesus' words. Well, let's talk about next steps. We'll wrap up here. Next steps. Uh, for, for learning to abide in Jesus. And this can happen a lot of different ways. Uh, for many of us, it happened, it happened for me in, in college where I first got the taste, uh, taste of it. I came to Christ, I met with a small group of guys, and they taught me how to study the scriptures, how to read the scriptures, how to, to memorize the scripture and, and mull it over day by day by day. It can happen that way. It can happen individually. Some people get along with God. And it happens that way. It's pretty rare. We need the body of Christ. But here at Faith, a couple things we offer to help you learn to be a disciple. Sam mentioned the first one earlier, which is rooted. It's a 10-week discipleship experience. It's on Wednesday night. starts two Wednesdays from now. But, but the, it's designed to help you begin to experience the rhythms of discipleship, such as a constant or continual intake of the word, assimilating it into your life so that it actually changes the way you think and speak and act. And, and rooted would be great for you if you are not yet a believer, you'll explore the claims of Christ. Uh, if you're a mature believer, rooted will, will help you go deeper. If you are a follower of Christ, but you haven't established patterns of seeking and discipleship, Rooted is phenomenal for you. A lot of people have found that it, it, it helps them get in these rhythms of studying the word, prayer, uh, serving other people. And so we don't offer Rooted because we're trying to keep people off the streets on Wednesday night, okay? That's not why we do. It's not just a program. We are passionate about helping people become disciples of Jesus. Consider that. The other thing I'll mention is just the, the upcoming sermon series. This might sound pretty mundane, but uh, there's a real opportunity here. Beginning next week, we're going to start studying the book of James <clears throat> and probably go till, we'll take a four-week break right around Easter, but probably go till the end of May, maybe into, into June. But uh, uh, James is one of those books that, that talks about uh, how our genuine faith affects everyday life. It covers topics like trials, speech, our words, wealth and poverty, faith and works, wisdom, all these, these profound topics 
And I know how easy it is to come to a church service and sit passively, listen to a sermon, and then move on. I know how easy it is to come sporadically, come once a month or come when I feel like it or come just whenever, just random pattern. And, and I, I understand that. We have busy lives. My encouragement to you is to make it a priority to come every week and soak in the word. Let the word wash over you. God gives teachers to the church to, to teach the church. Uh, listen to teaching. Go home. Meditate on it. Mull it over in your life, uh, in, in your mind, how it applies to your life. Have spiritual conversations about it and seek to live it out. Make this a, a study. God, I want to learn how my, how my faith can really work in everyday life. And so that's, that's a challenge for you. As I, was, I was talking with somebody about this this past week, and he reminded me that the last time we preached through James, which was 22 years ago, 1998, we issued a challenge. We would like for you to consider memorizing the book of James as we preach through it. And he's someone who did that, and he still got it. Uh, after first service, two others, they said, I was part of the James gang. That's what we called it. I totally forgot it. But uh, they were part of that. So some of you, we're not going to give you a mug or a loaf of bread or anything, but this is a way to invest in your discipleship. You can memorize the whole thing. Some of you might want to memorize selected portions from the book of James. But it's a way to seek God so that you might find him. Nothing better than memorizing scripture. You have it 24-7. Jesus calls us to be his disciples, and he could not have been more clear. He said, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth. Experientially, you will know the truth, and the truth will make you Father, that's what we want. That's what we long for. God, some of us here today in such bondage, so tied up, is spinning our wheels and not making progress in life, in the Christian life, in our life with Christ. God, we pray that you would give us the will, give us the desire, give us the energy, opportunity to pursue you as disciples. We pray, God, that the word would, would become so precious that we would treasure it up in our hearts, that we would, would seek you daily, hourly through the word, and we would find life and health and healing. God, we pray that we would be a church, a body full of disciples, people who can make other disciples, who can just very genuinely share our faith with others and teach them to obey the things you've commanded. God, we believe that's what you're doing here in the world. We believe that's where we find life and purpose. And so we put ourselves before you. We invite you to lead us. We invite you to empower us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.